Hey, what's everybody? Hey, welcome to another episode of the V12 Life. And today we got a guy I happened to find on social media that had some cool pages, some cool content. And I figured it'd be a great guy to sit here and talk motorcycles with. We got TJ Kibby. What's going on, guys? And girls. And gals, there we go. Actually, got to say, I stumbled across your page. Actually, I found you on TikTok. And the one that struck me the most that really got me going was, was it the Irish Cheers? Yeah, so that's actually, uh, I actually caught a lot of flack in the comments on that of people saying I stole it from a movie or I stole it from this or I stole it from that. And my heritage, I'm actually very, very Irish. So I've known that toast since pretty much, I was pretty much born knowing that one. And it is, it's an old Irish cheers and blessing from like four or 500 years ago. Uh, but people seem to love it. And that video blew up on TikTok. So I freaking loved it. I thought it was really good. I actually saved that one. But then I noticed, of course, in all your content, you know, most of your stuff, you're always hanging out in your shop and, you know, saw some nice bikes in the background and figured, dude, this would be an awesome guy to sit down and have a conversation with. Be awesome to do it face to face. But being as you're Connecticut, I'm in Washington, there's a bit of a distance there. Yeah, a little bit, because I believe even as the crow flies, the shortest distance coast to coast is like 2,091 miles or some shit. Yeah, that's a long ways. Although that's a great road trip. I'm, you know, summertime weather's nice. Hell yeah, I'd be down. Absolutely. Like, so what- I've always wanted to do uh, the rally out in Sturgis, but I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, trailers their bike out there and this, that, and the third. And all I've ever had for something that was, you know, roadworthy enough to make it that far was my sporty. And there's no way I'd survive that 1,800 miles on a sporty with a spring seat. Oh, with a peanut gas tank of three and a half gallons? Oh, no, I actually, I upgraded mine. I made the gas tank that's on my bike. It's uh, four and a half gallons. But when I bought it, it did have the 2.1 gallon peanut tank. <laughs> yeah, that'd which, be a lot. Which is funny because everybody's like, oh, it looks it looks so sweet. And this, that, and the third. Uh, yeah, yeah, but at 59 miles, my gas light comes on. <laughs> yeah, that's not getting very far before uh, you got to find another gas stop. Sure. Even with mine at five gallons, sometimes it's you get in some of those areas like you know I should look for a gas station soon. I'm thinking, yeah, I got like half a tank, but man, that bottom half seems to go fast. Yeah, it does, especially if you're uh, if you're romping on it a little bit. Yeah, or cruising at eighty five down the interstate. I'll tell you what, I'm spoiled now that I got the uh, the twenty twelve electric glide. Having a sixth gear and cruise control is pretty sweet. Dude, I know. I was coming back from Pendleton last week, and we ended up taking mainly the main high interstate to get back. And I bet there was a stretch of 30 miles I had the cruise control set. And I used to make fun of my dad, you know, call fuck, that's so fucked up, pussy cruise control. And I'd give him all kinds of shit. And now, you know, that I got the road glide, I got cruise control. It's like, dude, this is actually nice. You get yep. sport. I had the... Uh... I have the redneck cruise control on the Sportster. There's a spider gear on the bottom of the throttle case that's designed to like adjust your uh, throttle return tension. But mm-hmm. if you know enough about mechanics, all you got to do is hold your throttle and tighten that at the same time. And it just locks your throttle in place. Right. So what point, what got you into motorcycle? Actually, honestly, I think I was born into this lifestyle. I have uh, pictures of me, sub four or five years old riding around on the gas tank of harleys i mean my father grew up all of his best friends rode and owned harleys and built them 
And I actually bought my first Harley before I bought my first house. <laughs> nice. Because, you know, my priorities were and still are in the right place. There you go. What was your first one you bought? Uh, actually, the Sportster that's in a lot of my, all over my social brand new in 2010. Oh, nice. And then uh, my favorite thing about that bike is people ask me what year the bike is, and I have to reiterate, uh, well, pick a part of it. <laughs> it's got a little bit of everything. Well, the front fender actually is a takeoff of an old 1959, I believe, FLH. And then the rear fender was actually new old stock from the same era. The bars are custom made. The tank's custom made. So when people ask me what year it is, I just tell them ah, it was a 2010. And that's all about the whole thing of having it is, you know, and you see so many pages. Somebody start asking, well, what should I do to my bike next? What should I do? That's the whole part of getting a bike and making it your own. Somebody else can't tell you what you need to do to it. You got to get your own character and built to what suits you and what you like it's not about what somebody else what somebody else should tell you to do well i think the flip side of that is you see so many i call them credit card bikes you know you get somebody that buys the street glide or the road glide and they see the big wheeled baggers on tv or in the magazines and they just walk into a motorcycle shop put their credit card down and go i want my bike to look like this i feel like there's no originality in that true and for me, I'm not a fan of the big wheel baggers. I don't, I don't care for it at all. Have but you ever, have you ever written one? It's terrible. I have not actually, but I, I just, one I, of my buddies built a, I think it's a 14 or a 15 road glide. And he's got like a 29 inch front tire and it's all airbagged out. Don't get me wrong. It's a nice looking bike, but he's like, Oh, you want to ride it? And yeah. I, I took it for like a five mile ride. I brought it back. I'm like, Dude, this is the most uncomfortable thing in the world. I'd rather ride my Sportster than this. <laughs> like, that, you got that huge front wheel, no radius on the tire. They don't corner worth the shit. And I'm the kind of person that, like, I drag my floorboards on the bagger when I go around turns. Oh, I do too at times. I need something that I can, you know, lay into and have a good time. And some stability. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you know, like I say, some look good. Some don't, but it just, for me, it, it doesn't suit her. You see the people, they take, you know, get the tour pack. They put all the subs in it. They got speakers and all their saddlebags. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I got a stereo in mine, but I got my speakers and the fairing, which came that way. You know, my road glides in 04. But I also, I mean, I like to tour and I like to travel. And you start loading all your, you know, your saddlebags, your tour pack, if you got it, and start putting amps and subs, where's the practicality? There isn't any. You're losing all that cargo space. I I got so used to riding with Sportster with a backpack on because I was my father was old school uh, 175 Ranger Battalion. So I grew up, you got to be prepared for anything and everything. So when I was riding the Sportster, I was riding with like a 45 liter backpack Mm -hmm. to have the rain gear, to have the cold weather gear, to have a first aid kit, all that stuff. And now I'm like, Dude, I have these huge saddlebags that I can take that 45-liter pack in and put it in the saddlebag and not have to worry about it. This is great. Yeah, and the other thing I found that I love actually bought on Amazon was the saddlebag liners. Put your clothes in that, and they're cut. They drop right into the saddlebag. You get somewhere, you just open your lid, grab the handles, and take your luggage. And it's like I have one of those. Usually I put my clothes in going somewhere, and I still travel with a You know, my other saddlebag has a toolkit and some miscellaneous items. Then I got, I have the tour pack, 
which I I love having the extra storage. You go somewhere and throw my helmet there, my coat, vest, whatever, and it's not left laying on the bike. Yeah, when I bought the uh, electric glide that I'm on, it was it's an ultra classic, so it came with all the bells and whistles. I have the color match tour pack and all that stuff. The really nice cushy two up seat, but having a thirty look almost sub thirty inch inseam, that's a pretty big wide bike for somebody like me to be able to put my feet on the ground. So I bought a different seat. I took the tour pack off because I don't usually have a passenger. I don't even usually ride with other people because I feel like riding in a pack, you can only ride respectfully to the ability of the person that's the newest in the pack. And I've, I've been on the road so much and riding on two wheels my whole life that if I'm with a group of four or five people at, at one point or another, you know, you can't even see the fifth person in line in your mirror. I'm like, guys, this isn't what this is about. Keep it tight. Let's ride. I don't want to get separated. So I prefer to ride on my own. Yeah. And I, and I can understand that. I mean, yeah, riding two or three, you know, two or three guys in the pack isn't bad, but you start getting too many people. And it does difficult, especially, you know, some roads or you're trying to get around people or whatnot. And it can become a royal cluster. Well, that's the worst. You know, say you're riding with four or five other bikes and the person, whoever's leading the pack, I mean, me and my buddies, we lane share, so we ride side by side. But if you're four or five people deep and you want to go around a car in front of you, you're rolling the dice that everybody's going to make it. Yeah, or two people going to go, two, three, get around, and, you know, the other one will get around when they can, I guess, is, you know, kind of how it works sometimes, but. Yeah, and then you get where you're going, and all of a sudden you're the asshole because you didn't want to stay behind the guy doing 30 and a 50. <laughs> yeah, unless, I mean, a lot of, usually when I, for me, you know, riding groups, usually my dad, he always likes to lead, and he might be older, but I swear to God, he rides that bike 25. Oh, yeah. My father's the same way, like the, the Ural that you see in all of my social media content, the bike with the sidecar. Mm-hmm. We actually just did the first road test on that because we actually blew the motor that came in it. And that it, it's a Russian motorcycle. It's two-wheel drive, and it has reverse. So when we blew that motor, we couldn't – it didn't make sense to buy another Ural motor because relatively underpowered 750 cc's but a whopping like 41 horsepower so we opted to do all of the modification necessary to drop a 700 cc uh kawasaki v-force quad motor in it because my old man is stubborn and didn't want to lose reverse because <laughs> he like i i have pictures that i'll send you he's got pictures of that thing out in the power lines buried up to the axles having to run the winch cable out to get it out of the hole he's in <laughs> so he's like he's like dude I, I can't lose reverse you know sometimes the only way to get out of stuff without running the winch cable is to back it up he goes i don't want to lose reverse but that quad motor we put in has i believe almost exactly 50% more horsepower than the Euro motor is. And he was riding it up and down the parking lot yesterday. And he's dude, this thing's insane. It's so torquey. It's got way more pickup. I'm like, yeah, I could have told you that. Now you just got to be careful. That's freaking awesome. I've seen a few of those Euros. There's a guy here where I live in Port Angeles that has one every now and then you'll see it out and about. Oh, my, fa- is- my father rides his year round. I remember, I think it was uh, two years ago, I got a Snapchat from my best friend. He was working for Asplund Tree Company at the time. 
and one of the one of his buddies was working another crew and he was up in the uh up in the bucket trimming a tree in the middle of january with two feet of snow on the ground and it was in the town i grew up in and my buddy sends me this video he's like dude you got to watch this i'm thinking it's a tree falling or something nope it's one of his buddies on a different crew and here goes my dad in the ural and you know two feet of snow going down the road that's awesome and the you know the caption of the video is this dude's a diehard and my buddy knew exactly who it was. So he sent it to me. He's like, he's like, I had to tell that guy up in the bucket that I grew up with you and your father. And yep, he does that all the time. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Cause they got, I mean, they're literally two wheel. Yeah. It's uh, it's an engageable two wheel drive system, which is insane. That is freaking too funny. I mean, the Russians don't really build anything well mm-hmm. other than, you know, AKs and such, but you'll clutch the cost. Yeah. But I mean, I, we've been through, even when the Euro motor was in it, we did a custom exhaust to it, two into one because the exhaust used to come out both sides of the actual bike. And when you float the sidecar, like tip the sidecar up in the air, my dad started dragging the exhaust. So he's like, Nope, we're going to two into one it and make it custom. Like, okay, I'm cool with that. I swear sometimes that's the reason he pushed me to actually go to school for welding instead of carpentry so he could use and abuse my skill set at any given time. Yeah, it's a good fatherly deal. Okay, son, you got skills. I need some parts fabbed. (laughs) So your dad pretty much grew up on motorcycles most of his life also then? Yeah, I don't really ever remember a time of going longer than two or three days my whole life without there being a garage, a motorcycle in my garage or, you know, somebody just, my dad never owned one of his own until I got to the age where I could legally ride on the road and then we bought bikes together. But my whole life, there I was surrounded by motorcycles all the time. You do a good fair amount with your dad also then a fair amount of what a good fair amount of riding with your dad also yeah other than the fact that we're uh, like six months into this euro build we would ride at least once or twice a week together whether it was just you know out and about because it was a nice day or if the water on the connecticut river was down low enough i'd jump in the sidecar of the euro and we'd go try to get it stuck (laughs) that is sweet yeah i'm one of the lucky ones that has a fantastic relationship with my father so it's definitely a blessing. You know, it's been it's been awesome. I mean, my dad, my actual first motorcycle trip, I think we did it in 2000. The first one I ever did was me and my dad together, which kind of stuck with me and really drove me into enjoying motorcycles more on the road. And, man, I've been hooked ever since. You know, we took a trip. We did a loop around Washington, and we would we camped the first night at a campground, then we would hotel the second night so we could shower. You know, we split a room the next night we camped and it was awesome. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it and we still do it to this day. Well, that's how it should be, man. You know, you, you form a bond with just about anybody that you spend time riding with. I've made some of my closest friends I've made just from being out and about on my bike. You know, you stop at a gas station, people come over, ask you about the bike. And next thing you know, you're riding with them and their friends every other weekend, you know, going out, getting lost type stuff. Exactly. And the camaraderie and the entire motorcycle community. I mean, I, I found that out. I don't know. Well, not so much found it out, but a week and a half ago, I, I broke down heading down to Oregon 
because two weeks prior to this trip, I'd replace a stator. My stator went out my Harley. I put a new one in it, and everybody's, you know, you should replace the regulator. And, and you didn't, too, and you same. didn't listen, did you? Nope, I didn't. <laughs> you know, heading up the mountain pass, no reception, middle of nowhere else. And I look down, and my battery light comes on, and look at the voltmeter, and she's the drop. And I'm like, God damn it. You know, Flippy Uwe went back and had to go to a hardware store. Actually, my dad did to find a multimeter and start doing some testing. Sure as hell, that, that new stator fried the regulator. Yep. So, yeah, one of those little lessons you should do it. And, you know. And, you know, God forbid Harley would design something that, you know, you can replace one thing and not have to replace everything else. But that's not really their business model, is it? Yeah. So now the last month I put a new battery in it, new stator. Now it's got the new regulator. So, hey, the charging system should be good to go for a while. Well, you hope until you find out that, you know, you like me, you got a weird parasitic draw somewhere inside your fairing. And then you got to spend 10 hours chasing one broken insulated wire. Yeah. Trying to chase electrical demons. Yeah, I'm having problems with, uh, I put a new stereo in the electric glide because when I bought it, it wasn't it was a 2012 so harley wasn't super into the bluetooth radios at that point but i didn't really care about that all i wanted was i wanted the 103 i didn't want a 96 so i bought the 2012 and then i immediately bought a radio because i'm a huge i'm a music fanatic basically my life is music guns and motorcycles um, hey that's pretty much i you know, I, I want to upgrade mine because I have the stock radio, but I found this killer deal on a little Bluetooth plug-in that goes in the auxiliary port. And so I just stream all my music through the little Bluetooth port. And well, that's that's actually works. why I had to change my radio because the stock radio that was in the bike when I bought it, the auxiliary cord didn't work. The aux plug was shot. So I sucked it up. I spent, I think I spent 140 bucks on a brand new uh Bluetooth receiver and all the stuff to put it in from Crutchfield and I swapped the radio but I still have a wire somewhere that's causing um, it's causing my left speaker to cut out and I think the unit that Crutchfield sent me to keep um, I got to keep my handlebar controls with their little unit but I think one of the wires and that is what's causing that speaker to cut out because I can only change the music one way when the bike's running so that's just another thing I got to track down. It seems like it never ends. Yeah, that's something I might do this winter. I'd like to upgrade because the radio has, you know, it's shit almost 20 years old and it gets a little finicky at times, but still works. And it's like, you know, it ain't broken. So why fix it? Yet? Yeah. But it's, you know, one of those small things on the list down the road that I'd like to upgrade. But there are, you know, a few things I might want to do before that. I'd love to go to True Duels. I've seen some, I've found a few killer deals. I would love to do a two-into-one. I was never a big fan of the two-into-one on the baggers, but I'm getting a little bit more used to it because I just like the look of the duels coming out each side. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, I think that's more of a heritage thing. You know, you grow up in the motorcycle world, and you're so accustomed to seeing one muffler under each saddlebag. That I, me, personally, I see the two-into-ones, and, it doesn't matter who makes it. I'm like, that. Just, it's on a bagger. It doesn't look right to me. I need to have a muffler coming out from underneath each saddlebag. Right. 
and then I will give a few companies I know. Well, one, you know, they're not cheap. Do make a quality product like D and D, which does make the ghost pipe. You can go on the other side, get the two into one, but you still have the look yep. of tools, which is an option. But yeah, I need to like I because this summer I actually cracked the rear head pipe on the rear cylinder, and I had a buddy that welded it up for me because it split almost completely in half. Really. So, yeah, I got that fixed, and I actually had a friend that had another crossover that gave me another one, but I was able to get that one welded up, put it back on. But, yeah, I'd like to upgrade the exhaust here one of these days because I got slip-ons on it, but I'd love to just go to the actual – most likely I'll do the true duels. I just like the look of it. I love the sound. I mean, mine's got some healthy cams in it. It would be nice. Yeah, I think if I'm going to do exhaust, I'll always stand behind uh, Vance and Hines exhaust because they took care of me. Actually, with the Sportster, I snapped my front head pipe coming back from Laconia Motorcycle Week. And it didn't break in a spot that it should have broken. You know, you figure stuff like that breaks at the mount or it breaks at the flange. And my front pipe actually snapped in the radius. So thankful enough as much as I hate to say it, I put the picture up on social media and I tagged Vance and Hines in it. And within six hours of the post being up, they had overnighted me a brand new set of pipes. No questions asked. Dude, that's awesome. Now that's customer. So I will always stand by the fact that they went out of their way to take care of me when they didn't have to, because it says right on their website, it's only a one year warranty. I had had those pipes on my bike for uh, like, shit six years i think so you know they had thirty thousand miles on them and vance and heist didn't even blink they're like what you're making model we'll send them out to you right now and you can keep the old ones so i wound up welding up the broken part of the pipe and i gave them to my dad's girlfriend for her sportster so hey there you go that's nice to hear companies that do that that do go out of their way that you know, like say you tag them or something and they want to stand behind what they sell, regardless, like you said, six years old and they still back what they did, you know, the product that they made. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is I think at the time I put the pictures up on Instagram and I think at the time I had maybe 500 Instagram followers. So who am I? Why would they care that, you know, I'm throwing a little bit of shade at them and, you know, I get it from a business aspect. You want to keep the customers happy, but. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to take care of me. Yeah, but they did. And that, hey, that says something right there. Yes, it does. So I will always, people ask me, oh, what exhaust should I put on my bike? Vance and Hines, 100%. Absolutely. Hey, that's a good thing to, to have in your back pocket. So you got any, like, dream places you'd like to ride or wish list you got going on for next year i would i'm still i really want to do sturgis just because i've been to this year actually was the first year i haven't gone to the laconia rally in six years i'm always up there during a rally and i want to do i really want to do daytona but i despise florida i'd like to do daytona but actually honestly laconia has been on on my list, I'd love to check it out one of these years. Well, the good thing for me is it's oh, one of the big ones with Sturgis, Laconia. You got, you know, Daytona Bike Week, the Laughlin Run. Yeah. 
my you know, my favorite thing about before. Laconia is one of my best friends did a stint of five years. She moved up there, and she was living right in Meredith on the bay of uh, Lake Winnipesaukee. So I always have a place to stay up there. You know, I don't have to get a campground or a hotel room. I know a bunch of the locals. I know the places that aren't crowded during bike week. So I go up there, and it's kind of like a second home during that week you know i'm I'm up there i have my own place my own shower that kind of stuff so it's real easy for me to go up there and spend the week up there so which means you know the day and time whenever one of these years i can make it i definitely got to go absolutely come hang out at the apartment with us there's room for the bike you know you'll have a shower a, a full kitchen the whole bit you won't have to camp nothing it would be fun. I'd love to check out that that run one of these years. Like I said, you know, I, I haven't done Sturges yet. I would like to do it at least once just to, you know, that thing to say, hey, I've been there. I'd like to, you know, check out the surrounding areas. I mean, I'm, I love history and whatnot, and there is a lot of history in that area. You know, I'd like to go check out Mount, Mount Rushmore, go up to Deadwood, at least see it once for myself and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I rode there, been there, yep. done that. I think that's the draw for me. And then, you know, you look at a rally like Laconia and it's the oldest one, but it's relatively small if you think about it, because in most years of Sturgis, the population of the town of Sturgis is, I believe, 600 people or 6,000 people. And during during the course of that week of the Sturgis motorcycle rally, the population flares up to over 600,000 people for the course of the week. And I feel like that would just be awesome to be around that many like-minded people. Yeah. And like, you know, you talk about Laconia, where I live in Washington, we have one. It's the, I think it's the fourth week into September. We call it the oyster run up in Anacortes. It's a small town, which Anacortes might have a population of around 10, 12,000. And come oyster weekend, that town will bring in, 30 to 40,000 people, you know, main street would remind you of Sturges, you know, the center line is tire to tire motorcycles, sidewalks are lined all, you know, vendors are everywhere. And it's, you know, the biggest motorcycle rally in, in the Northwest is the oyster. Yeah. Rally. That honestly, like, it being you know, that the, crowded and that many people being around, I don't usually do good in crowds, but I feel like there's that kind of unspoken safety being surrounded by your atypical biker. And I didn't go to Laconia this year solely because they, the rally commission was not allowing vendors. I'm like, so you guys just took away 60 plus percent of the people that go there. Yeah. And that's, you know, with us up here over in Washington, they canceled the oyster run and you know, that that's a lot of money lost to a town. I mean, that town brings in a ton of money. The vendors go up there. I mean, you got all your uh, motorcycle vendors are up there. There's a lot of manufacturers that go up there. They're doing demo rides. I mean, the Oyster Run is huge in the Northwest and wasn't able to have it this year. I honestly think that's the only reason that Laconia didn't actually full-blown cancel the rally this year. Because it's, I think uh, this year was 96 or 94. Four or 96 years. I know it's not a, it wasn't a banner year for Laconia this year. So it wasn't a, you know, a hundred or a 95 or anything like that. But their claim is longest 
running motorcycle rally in the United States. So I think that's really the only reason that they didn't just throw their hands up and go, no, we're just not going to have it this year. Which I get. You know, it is popular. And like I said, it is one of the, what I like to consider one of the, the bigger rallies in the country, longstanding. And, you know, so many people well, hear about it. That's kind of like it the two that everybody knows. You know, you have the Laconia Motorcycle Week and you have the Rally in Sturgis. Yeah, and you got yeah, And then Hunter. there's actually I be- the one in Myrtle Beach has grown quite a bit of popularity in the past 10 years. Daytona Bike Week would be cool to experience one, but it's just so early in the year. You know, where I live, you got some mountain passes you got to cross. And that time of the year, man, they're not very friendly when it comes to motorcycle. And I'm not a fan of trailing my bike. I'm going somewhere. I'm riding. I think it was uh, two years ago, because like we were talking about, my father likes to go out and get the Ural stuck in the mud. So he has some of the gnarliest, like, dirt bike tires ever on the Ural. Like, so when you're on the road, they just get chewed up and destroyed. So he had just put new knobby tires on it for right before Laconia a couple of years back. And I was nonstop giving him shit about trailer in it. So he towed it up behind his girlfriend's Jeep and nonstop. All of us, all of my friends were like, Oh, you trailer queen. He's like, Hey man, if you guys want to buy me brand new tires for that, I'm going to need by the time we get back, I won't trailer it. And we were all like, no, we're not buying new tires. <laughs> and you want to talk some gnarly tires. I don't know what size wheels it has. You got to jump on it early is look up Terraflex. They're very popular with hill climbing and those are the most gnarliest knobby tires that you can get. I used to run those on my hill climb bikes back in the day. And it's like, you would have to jump on the manufacturer early, you know, whether you're going Dennis Kirk or Chaparral or whoever you're ordering from, you had to get on there early in the year to be able to get a tire because they sell out fast. I think everybody runs uh, their Kendas on his bike, but it's like, it's pretty much a mud dirt bike tire and it's hilarious to look at. That's freaking awesome. Going out just to try to get your girl stuck in the mud is that's well, freaking he grew comical. up in the era of, you know, going out mudding in your in your four wheel drives, you know, Broncos and Land Cruisers and stuff, and I don't think he ever grew out of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, you know, I used to have to fix my my Bronco or my Land Cruiser all week just so I could go out and have fun with it on the weekend. And it's the same thing with the Ural. Something's constantly broken. We have to fix stuff. We have to weld new tabs, stuff like that. But he loves every second of it. Hey, that's what it's about. Enjoying it and having fun. I mean, I'm the same way. I mean, if, if I can rather ride my bike than drive my truck, dude, I'm going to get my bike out every day. Oh, yeah. And this summer, other than... I don't know how it was out in the Pacific Northwest for you guys, but in New England this summer, it was grotesquely hot for a while. Oh, we had an amazing stretch. I mean, I bet you there was a time where I don't think I put gas in my Chevy for about six, seven weeks. I don't have to think of much left no, to drive. There's with. days out here, especially with the humidity, where I don't even want to think about being on my motorcycle. It's, not, it's manageable when you're moving, you know, when you're doing 65, 70 down the back roads in the shade 
but you got to stop at a red light. It feels like an eternity when it's 105 degrees out. Then you get the 160 degree temperatures coming off the bike, no moving wind. Like, nope, I'll be a cager today because I want the air conditioning. Oh, I had one like that about a month ago coming back from Idaho. You get up here in Tacoma, Washington, there's a stretch of I-5. I, I swear to God, it doesn't matter what day it is, what time of day, whether it's seven in the morning or six o'clock at night, you get 10 to 15 miles of just the shittiest traffic in the world. And it must have been 85, 90, and we're creeping along at like Which two miles an hour. Which is horrible for our bikes because they're air-cooled. I was coming oh, back uh, when yep. my sports are before I did a bunch of motor work to it. I was coming back from Cape Cod. I believe it was 4th of July weekend. And the there's only one bridge in and out of Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And it's always like a parking lot. And it had to be about probably 100 in the shade. And we hadn't moved in, I don't know, probably 10 minutes with the bikes just sitting there idling. Finally, I just started to smell rubber. Like I could smell the seals inside my engine cases cooking themselves. So I just shut the bike Jesus. off and let it cool down to the point where it was, you know, about the stagnant air temperature before I fired it back up. Sure shit, I got home. I was leaking out of my rocker boxes. I'm like, dude, I smelled that gasket go. That's insane. Well, I was on a trip once with my dad. We had a similar deal. We got stuck in traffic on a freeway and, you know, it was high 90s, low 100s. But then you get the ambient heat coming off the asphalt and the highway. And it's like, dude, you know what? Our exit is like a mile up the road, maybe a mile and a half. We said, screw it. We jumped on the shoulder of the road and just, you know, went at a safe pace. But it's like, yeah, I'm not sitting in this heat any longer. You know, we're in all of our riding gear. and Oh, yeah. Oh, we were it's dying. just, I mean, there's right now, especially here, it's it drops down to 55 or so at night. And this is my favorite time of year to ride because you're perfectly comfortable in a like a hoodie or any kind of decent light jacket but during the day you're all right in a t-shirt you know it's perfect you throw the sweatshirt in the saddlebag you ride all day all night and you're you have no complaints because it's not too hot it's not too cold it's oh that's how i like it i got a super heavy flannel that i love to wear and i'll throw my my heavy flannel on i'll put my vest on and I ride in that. I don't think I've worn my actual coat in months, but I mean, I got an old Joe Rocket coat that I've had for 20 years that it, it's time to upgrade. Time for a new one, but I ride more in my freaking flannel and my vest. So I'm the anything. same way. Even riding in the winter out here, my dad used to tell me I was crazy because I'd be comfortable in like a heavyweight sweatshirt and my vest and a pair of gloves and my face mask that I use when I snowboard. Meanwhile, he's got, we all have the plug-in heated gerbing uh motorcycle gear like the heated liners and stuff and he's all mm -hmm. bundled up to the nines like the kid from uh was it christmas story <laughs> and, and here i yeah, am in i know what you're talking about jeans and a sweatshirt and my vest and i'm i'm fine he's like i just don't understand it oh yeah it's like we did last week it's like i just put on a real heavy under armor then I had my freaking flannel, my vest, you know, same thing. My dad's bundled up in his coat, his gloves, and yep, man, I'm fine. Whatever makes you comfortable, and just go and enjoy the ride. 
we all got what works for us and that's what it is. Yeah, it's like when I ride with my friends, you know, if if we're going somewhere specific, like if we know where we want to go, we'll get to where we're going as quick as we can. So we'll jump on the highway. But when we come back, I try to, I avoid highways and main roads at all costs. I would prefer nice twisty long back roads, stuff like that. I absolutely agree. If I can stay off the big interstates and just enjoy the back highways, you know, that's how, you know, me and my dad and, a lot of friends are it's more scenic and the way i see yeah it, you're way safer risk. on the back roads than you are on a main highway 100 percent. you know i mean i've spent you know a good well i spent a lot of time on interstates riding over the years but it's like man you got three you got four not just worried about what's in front of you you switch lanes you got to worry about the next lane over too and I'd rather ride back highways any day than get on. Well, the main I think the biggest thing safety wise now for us that ride is everybody in their cars. If you think about it, paying attention to the road has become secondary. It's the cell phones, the makeup people eating while they drive. And it's, they're spending more time paying attention to whatever they're doing when they should be paying attention to driving. I think some of the scariest ones I've actually passed people. They're, they got their hands at 10 and 2, and there's a freaking book on the steering wheel, and they're reading. I'm like, you've got to be kidding yeah, and me. And that's, that's another thing is, you know, it's not, there's no such thing as a fender bender on a motorcycle. There's, you're either, you're either hurt or you're no. dead. Yeah. It's not, it's not, oh, sorry, I cracked that's your bumper. It's true. up. Let me call the EMTs so they can grab a shovel and scoop your brains off the fucking highway. Yeah, it's either severe or you're just a really bad human scab. Yeah, road rash is no fun. I've had my fair share of it. Not much of it from motorcycles per se, but I grew up, I spent my whole life skateboarding, so I've donated quite a bit of uh, soft tissue and blood to pavement in my life. Yeah, and I I spent a lot of my younger years on dirt and and dirt bikes, and I've, I've given my fair share of skin and broken well, the best, bones the best thing about riding in the in dirt and in the trees is the trees don't move you know they they have a habit of jumping out in front of yeah. you every once in a while but it's not like you know they're powered and they can cut you off or anything like that right or the the freak accident when you know you you hit another bike and on a motocross track or even, or even when you're out in the woods you know you trees got thousands of acres of woods and you hit the one other guy that's out there on its quad you know yeah, and some of those trees just aren't that forgiving, even a small limb. I remember I was doing a hill climb in eastern Washington, and over here it's like you could find bushes. Like, dude, that's just a bush. Yeah. I can run it over. You think you, you think you there, can run it over? There's some bushes. Well, yeah, until you hit a sagebrush. There's nothing bushy about it. That's like hitting concrete. That thing launched me in the air, and valuable lesson learned, dude. You can't run over no, a sagebrush. Yeah, they're pretty unforgiving, that's for sure. I found that one out the hard way. Yeah, we, we do a lot of riding right Second. along the banks of the Connecticut River, which for legal purposes, I'm not going to say where because, you know, most of it's private on land. But, you know, we ride <laughs> we ride fast, we ride hard because when we hit the tides right, we can go like halfway out into the middle of the Connecticut River on a sandbar. And we were all riding one day and, you know, everybody talks about following too close and this and that. And 
my buddy was maybe one quad length in front of me and he cut right at the last second. And I smoked the front a frame of the quad at probably 40 miles an hour into a stump, but it was only like a four inch diameter stump. I didn't really think it was going to stop me dead right there. Like I saw it and I was like, (laughs) Nope, I'll be fine. It's just going to break. It didn't. It was like hitting a concrete wall. The quad stopped right there. I went up and over to handlebars. Man, I had one years ago, I was riding my daughter's PW 80 flying through the backyard and I ran over a part of the dog's leash just perfectly where the piece that clips on his collar, it was also anchored in the ground. Well, I got the piece that was would hook to his collar and that thing popped up perfectly between the engine oh. case and the rear brake and on it sideways. And that bike went from like 30 miles an hour to zero in like a second. I couldn't believe how well that thing held up even with a motorcycle. Let's stop the bike. I fucking, I ate the handlebars and my thighs and my waist. And, oh, it was, it was an awesome crash. Everybody well, laughed. Well, at least, you, like, know, at least now you know, you never have to worry about the dog breaking the lead. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that's so true. I couldn't believe it held up. It's like, dear Lord, this is freaking unreal. And then a one in a million chance you run it over and it pops up and goes right between your rear brake lever and the engine case. It was unreal. But, hey, we're getting up there, man. And, dude, I think we, we could do oh, a few absolutely, of these. This has been man, a lot of especially fun. Especially if the response from your listeners is good enough. I'm absolutely down to do this with you whenever you want. Oh, dude, I think it'd be fun. I mean, you know, we got kind of the same mentality and personality where I think we can definitely have some more good, fun conversations about bikes. And Absolutely. Sounds good to going. me, man. Right on, man. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, and we don't go to too long. Some people tend to die out after a while, but I think we're definitely going to be doing a few more episodes and shoot the breeze and talk bikes. And I don't know about you, but I I have as well. Yep. Any movement you hear from me is me going back and forth to the fridge for another nice frosty adult beverage. (laughs) Hey, that's awesome, man. Hey, I want to thank you for coming on and agreeing to do this. Absolutely, man. I I really appreciate the invite. I had a great time. Right on. Well, I think we'll call her good for here and uh, we'll be tuning in for another episode soon and we'll get you back because I've had a lot of Absolutely, fun. Absolutely, man. With you. Thank That's you very much. Time. Hey, right on. Well, thanks for coming on, bud. And we will. Yes, sir. Keep the rubber side day. down. Absolutely. Hey, ride safe and enjoy Absolutely. the miles Have a good one, smiles, man. bud. Hey, you too. Hey, thanks everybody for tuning in and stay tuned for the next episode because it's only going to get better.